episode 25 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles. I see the light. Alright guys, welcome along to episode 25 of Fitness Behaviour, your monthly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and all the benefits that come alongside it. I guess I'm kind of proud of myself in this moment. This is the first time in the whole 25 episodes I've ever done it that I haven't had to practice the intro, so I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Hey, welcome along this month, guys. It's been a pretty cool month for me. Uh, I've got a couple of things to share with you before we start this month's show, and and uh, this month I've got a show that... Uh, on a topic that I'm sure a lot of you guys have maybe tried or um, know something about, and and I thought I'd bring my approach to it and and just share some ideas around how to do it more effectively, or or maybe just how to do it, and uh, and you'll figure that out once we get into it. But you know, it's why well, you well, you know what, you're going to figure out what that is. I just thought I'd share one experience I, I had with you this month. I got to go uh, through my other podcast called I am talk. I got to go and do some media work at the Ironman world championships. And, um, it's pretty cool. I basically get a week to go along and spend time with all the pro athletes and just interviewing them, uh, on their most important week. I love that opportunity. I love the, the opportunity. Like when you sit down with someone who's an Ironman professional athlete, these people are of the highest level in a sport that is regarded as one of the most physically demanding sports of all time. For those who don't know much about Ironman, you, you swim 3.8 Ks and then you follow that up by riding 180 Ks and then you do a marathon, so that's 42 Ks or just over 42 Ks all within one day. Now, for Joe Public to do an Ironman is, is a massive achievement. For an age grouper to achieve the goal of qualifying for the World Championships in Hawaii, that's another amazing achievement. But to race as a pro is another level that's hard for for most people to comprehend. These guys know a level of physicality and mental strength that you know, 99% of the population will never even get close to experiencing. And what's really great about sitting down with these guys in, in the week of their most important race is that there's something about the sport. You know, if you watch a lot of big sports nowadays, there's a lot of ego, there's a lot of um, talking people up, and, and, and it's almost like sports entertainment's become a show as in, you know, we, we build an audience by creating personas out of our sports stars. But because this race is really a race of attrition, a race of character, and a race of physical limits. There's something about Ironman professional athletes that they don't have that. They don't have that kind of horrible cockiness, or, or not that cockiness is a bad thing, but they, they're quite humbling. And I think they're humbling because at the end of the day, even the top guys never know 100% if they're going to nail the race on race day. A really good example of this this year was a guy by the name of Craig Alexander. Now, Craig Alexander has won the World Championships three times in the last five years. And then the other two times, I think he got second. So he's pretty much been the most consistent performer over the last five years. Coming into this year's race, he was pretty much the obvious favourite for the race. And uh, he had a tough day. He didn't do that well. He ended up getting, I think, 11th or 12th. And for a guy who's pretty much dominated sport for the last five years... 
you know, that wouldn't have been what he was expecting or the triathlon world was expecting. But that's the thing with this race. This race, you can be as conditioned as you could, you know, ever prepare yourself and you could do everything right and even then the wheels will fall off. And uh, for me to be able to sit down with these high-level people and, and just get inside their head and uh, learn what drives people of that level and, and to... Like, it's really interesting. I do a show with a guy called John, and John and I, we, we've got this kind of good blend of how to make a show work. And on that show, to be honest, I play the clown, and uh, and he plays, he's a bit more of a triathlon expert than myself. So he plays the expert, and I kind of play the clown. But when we interview, we have a kind of a different approach. He's really interested in the athletic side of things, and, uh, you know, he's a coach, so that makes sense. And I'm really interested in the mind side of things. And so we have this good blend of questioning that really helps to bring out, you know, both sides of the the coin when it comes to the discussion. But I love it when I get to sit down and spend time with these guys because they just reveal what it takes to be such a high-level person in such a hugely demanding sport. And what was really interesting this year for us is that um, once the race is finished, we were very fortunate with our media passes to pretty much be behind the finish line and as the pros come in from their race, to have a bit of a talk to them about how their race is going. And it's really interesting to see the emotion of these athletes. You know, one of the downfalls of Ironman Triathlon is that for a professional athlete, because the sport is so demanding, they only tend to race geez, three times a year, you know, the top guys, some people may do four or five, but those that tend to be the top guys, the top guys will probably do one, two or three Ironman races a year. So there's not much room for error. And as these guys were crossing the line, you could see the emotion on their face. There was the emotion of the winners. There's a lady called Leander Cave who won the championship this year and She's been in sport for 17 years, and she's been a successful athlete, but this was significantly the most important race she could ever win. And uh, I got to talk to her, and you could tell she was just fighting back the tears. She was just so emotional. And you think about the hard work that she's been through to achieve this big goal to finally get there was pretty phenomenal. And then there are other athletes who you talk to who the day didn't go their way, that things didn't happen the way they set out to do. And these people had spent the last 12 months of their life training up to 8, 10 hours a day at high, high intensities. You know, discipline with nutrition, discipline with the sleep strategies, discipline with, you know, the coaching plan. They do everything right with the hope of having this one amazing day. And unfortunately, there can only ever be one winner in, in the each race in the males and females race and you could see some of these athletes who had that hope coming into the race and as they crossed the finish line they didn't get there and the emotional experience they're going through in that moment is really challenging because they live in this place of doubt and this place of you know what have I done wrong And that's the harsh thing about the sport is that you can do everything right in preparation, even for most of the race, and still things will go wrong. But that's where I have the most respect for these athletes in my sport is that all of these athletes, you know, sure the winners are going to walk away feeling on top of the world and maybe some of the pros had some good days, but the ones who didn't have good days, the ones who I sat there and I was fortunate enough to interview, and you could tell, you know, and some of them were fighting back the tears, 
they'll get up tomorrow and they'll start preparing for next year's race. That's what's impressive about these guys. Sure, they're impressive and they train hard and sure, they're disciplined and strong. And, and you know what, that's, you can fall in love with what they have there. But what's impressive is they just keep on chasing even when the going gets tough. This year's winner, the female winner, Leander Cave, 17 years in the sport. She finally got that win. Now, over those 17 years, she's had many experiences which would have told her, you know, maybe she'd give up now. But she didn't. She kept on going. And uh, this, this isn't even about this week's show. This is just, you know, what I kind of love about these people. And, and, and I suppose ultimately as I finish off on this little kind of waffle that I do, is seeking a life where you are aiming to be that best version of yourself and understanding that there's going to be knocks and failures and all that along the way, but to keep growing for that and to keep challenging yourself to go for that is ultimately a journey worth chasing. Just thought I'd chuck that out there. <laughs> That's a kind of a full-on introduction. I just, yeah, just kind of encapsulated by, you know, that... They're really impressive. So anyway, anyway, that's uh, uh, <laughs> a 10-minute introduction for you. I might just do a 10-minute show, so it's not so long today. But I'm, I'm going to pretty much get into today's show, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. Um, yeah, let's get into it. You wake up in the morning, and you know you haven't had a really good night's sleep. You've had a, a really terrible night's sleep. And the reason you've had a terrible night's sleep is because today you know you have a challenge in front of you. And for the purpose of today's episode, we'll just say it's a physical challenge. It might be that you're going to a 10K running race or you've got an extra hard session at the gym with your personal trainer or some kind of physical challenge which is just going to absolutely push you to your max. And you sit there in bed and... You're sitting in that place of doubt where you don't know if you're going to be okay. You don't know how well you're going to do. and You're feeling slightly stressed, slightly nervous. It's that place that sometimes you hope for injury. Um, you, you see it sometimes with athletes. Some athletes, over a period of time, you find they always get injured before big events. And sure, there are athletes who get injured sometimes, but there's also athletes who get so close to a big challenge and they're so worried about failure or not achieving or, or not getting a place that they wanted that the injury is the easy out. I've got to admit, as an athlete in my career, I've had those thoughts. I've had those times where the goal seems so big and even though I've prepared really well, you're almost looking for an out. And on this morning, you're feeling that way. You're laying in bed and you can see this challenge in front of you and you think to yourself, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. You get up, you roll through your day, let's say the challenge is around lunchtime and, and through your whole day you're sitting in this place where mentally you're doubting yourself. Mentally you're worried about how well you're going to do You doubt if you can even do it. You, again, you're sitting in that excuse place and it's just kind of daunting on you, in your head. One, one term I came up with, I had a session with a client today actually and, and I had a session, uh, a word that kind of popped into my head and, and it really connected with my client and it was the idea of future worry, that the event of the future 
you live in a place where you're continuously worrying about it. That the moment you're building up to is on your mind in a place that lives in worry, future worry. I, I might need to, to patent that word, all those words. So this whole day is consumed with this idea of future worry about this one moment in your day. Let's use the 10K race. Let's, let's say that's the uh, the thing you're with the future worry you have about. And you have experience in this 10K race before and, and maybe you've had some experience where you haven't gone so well and uh, your future worry is really focused on what you haven't done well in the past. You know, you're not very good at warming up and you get all nervous before the race and the race goes off and, and you often go too hard too early and then the last 10, you know, 3K of the race, everyone's passing you by. And so you, there's all these decisions that you're worried about that you're going to confront when you hit this 10K race. And so as you think of this future worry thing, it's just continuously kind of swirling around in your head of all these decisions which you're worried about making. The race comes along. Again, you feel real nervous. The gun goes off. And you instantly go back to some of the decisions that you have previously made that have made you unsuccessful. You go out too hard again because you're worried that if you don't go out hard, what happens to the rest of the, you know, do you not get the place you want to get or do you not get the time you want to get? And as the race progresses, you're doing good. But then again, in that last three Ks, the wheels fall off and you start to struggle. And suddenly people are passing you again and again and again. What I'm describing here is, is is what I like to call think of of that day's critical moment, that day's defining moment. That from the moment you went to bed the night before because it was so important, you know, even in your sleep you were dis- disrupted a lot because it was on your mind so much. You woke up because of that stress. From the moment you woke up, that critical moment in your day was what that day was all about. That that day would be defined by what happened in that critical moment. A lot of us have critical moments in every day of our life. I've used the sporting example here, you know, I've used, you know, the 10K race. And that was quite an extreme example of it, you know, if you've prepared well for an event or something like that and, you know, you've worked hard at something and then there's a a moment where you test it. You know, that's the thing often with sports and and events is that you work, you know, let's say you do a marathon, you work, you know, for three months, four months to do this marathon and you put so much time, energy and effort into achieving this marathon. So you get this, this one day where it's meant to be a reflection of all the effort you've put in. So, on those days, you have this really critical moment in, you know, doing a marathon. And obviously, it's a pretty long moment, so there's probably moments within it. But even on the lighter side, most days in your life are just a habit. When we think about, now, again, I can't remember the exact numbers, but, you know, people talk about, you know, I don't know, 80% of your day is just the repeat pattern of what happened yesterday. And I'm sure you can identify with what that is right now if you were to think of your morning routine how often does your morning routine change? Not that often. If you were to think about what happens when you turn up at work, you probably go and have a coffee, sit down at a computer, check out a few websites, look at your tasks for the day. There's a kind of a repeat pattern to most of the things that we do each day. They'll go through lunch, go through the night. And, you know, I think I talked about this a little bit when I talked about that um, the Action Triggers show a while ago, but the whole idea that most of our day is just a habit. 
But within that, most days we'll have what we call critical moments. Critical moments that will define the day, but that are the real test of character and test of what you want to be and the direction you want to go in. That if you hit those critical moments correctly or or well, your day will flow on and there'll be a sense of success in that day. Whereas if you don't hit those critical moments well, there's a sense of disappointment. Let's say it's you going to the gym after work. A lot of people, there's that critical moment when they jump in their car, they get out of work, and as soon as they kind of finish their work from that moment forward, they're kind of in that battle of, will I go to the gym, won't I go to the gym? Will I, won't I, will I, won't I? That's a critical moment. That's a moment where a decision can go either way, and ideally you want to make a decision that will be the outcome you want. So let's say going to the gym is the outcome. Once you leave the office space and you're kind of, well, let's say you work in an office, once you leave your workspace and you head to the car, you're in this critical moment. If you make a good decision, which some days you will, you'll head to the gym. If you make a not so good decision or a poor decision, you'll head home feeling guilty, feeling you know, in a bad energy space, which will often lead to worse decisions. So you may go home and bugger, I haven't gone to the gym. I might as well eat some chocolate biscuits now. So as we think about our day-to-day lives, we, we recognise that most of my day is a habit. Most of my day is just the stuff I did yesterday. But in each day, and sometimes it's bigger, like doing a race or doing some sporting activity that's big, or, or even just a work thing, you might have a presentation or you know whatever. But even within days that don't have that added extra pressure, there are critical moments where you can work towards being your best. I'm going to do a bit of a, a bit of a sidestep here. I'm going to go back to critical moments later on in today's show, but I'm going to do a bit of a sidestep. I'm going to talk about a study which I found really fascinating that was done a few years ago now. I can't remember. I haven't actually got the dates in front of me right here, but it was a study done in Russia. And, and what they did in Russia is that they got a group of Olympic athletes. So these guys were high-level athletes. It's always interesting. I always find it funny. I, I had a, a girl I worked with for a little bit, um, called Chantelle Brunner, Brunner, I think it was. Um, I didn't work for a lot, but <laughs> she worked in the same office when I worked in uh, up in Auckland a little bit. And uh, she was an Olympic New Zealand Olympic long jumper. Now she didn't win an Olympic medal, but I remember her saying to me that most people don't understand how hard it is to just achieve the level of getting into an Olympics. That when we look at the Olympics, we you know obviously medal winners are what we're all about when we watch the Olympics. But the people who even just get into the Olympics in any sport are such high-level athletes in their own region and even just, you know, in their sport. And uh, uh, and I think a lot of people don't recognise that. Like Chantal was a phenomenal athlete and she got to the Olympics. Now, she never won a medal, but phew, didn't really matter. She was just that good. But these Russian guys were dealing with Olympic athletes. So these guys were high, high-level athletes. And what they were curious about is how much would mental training help them in their physical ability to perform? So what they did is they took them through a series of physical tests and, you know, to measure, you know, how physiologically they would, you know, have an outcome around these tests. And then what they did is they broke them into four different groups. Now, one of the groups received 100% physical training. So they dealt with coaches and the coaches just gave them physical training 100% of the time. The second group did 75% physical training with 25% mental training. 
So that's been, you know, let's say, let's say the first group did 10 hours of physical training a week. The second group would do seven and a half hours of physical training and then two and a half hours of just mental training. Group three was 50-50 and group four did 75% mental training followed by 25% physical training. What these, what these researchers or scientists were interested in was which group would get the most physical benefits, the best performance results from these different types of training. Who do you think would win? Who do you think guys would be one? Do you think it would be one who would just do the physical 100% of the time or do you think it would be 75-25 or 55-50 or 50-50, sorry, or 75-25? What the researchers found out was that group four, the group who did 75% mental training with 25% physical training, had the best performance results. Now that's pretty massive when you think about it, isn't it? Now I'm not sure if that goes across all sports and all times, but to think that these guys are training, so if we go to the hour rate, and again this is just me making an example of it, but let's say there is 10 hours of exercise to be done, that the guys who only did two and a half hours exercise and put 75%, you know, seven and a half hours into their mental training actually got better performance results than the guys doing 10 hours training. That is massive. And to be honest, I haven't read much further into, you know, what's been done since this study. And so, uh, to be honest, I find it really hard to (laughs) to believe. But what the study did show is that if we could spend some time developing our mental strength to actually put time into our our training as an athlete or in our day as a person, where we sit and focus on our mental game, we will improve our performance. If we can put mental training into our day, either as an athlete or as a person, we can improve our performance. It's pretty massive when you think about it. And I think what I want to lead into, and one of the things, where is this all going? I suppose this is a question you probably want to ask right now. And today I'm going to talk about one of the tools that we can use. Now I've used other tools on the show before. There's the black and white rules, there's the um, action triggers and affirmations and stuff like that. And but one thing I haven't touched on, which I'm sure a lot of us know about, is visualization. And uh, what is visualization and how can we use it as one of those tools in our toolbox to help us make great decisions in our day? So I suppose, first of all, what is visualization? And and I'm sure all of you guys listening to this right now have an understanding of what visualization is. But visualization is, is really a technique of creation using your imagination to put yourself in situations towards an experience in your life. Um, that, that's a, a pretty kind of easy way to do it. But what's really interesting around visualization is that there's, there's I'm going to talk a little bit around technique later on in the show, but there's a good book by a guy called Richard Wiseman and it's called 59 Seconds, uh, Think a Little, Change a Lot. And it's his kind of thinking with the book was that he was really curious. I, he's like a psychologist. Um, I don't exactly know what he is, to be honest. Yeah, I think he's a psychologist. But um, he's, his thinking behind the book was, you know, there's all these self-help methods, methods out there that, you know, self-help industry kind of promote and uh, he was really curious to see well let's let's test them and let's see if you know which ones work and which ones don't and uh, he spends a bit of time on visualization within that and um, he kind of concludes which is very interesting is that some forms of visualization are really great and then other forms are actually destructive that other forms actually hold you back and when he goes into visualization he talks about 
the form that holds you back of uh, visualization is what we call big picture visualization. Big picture visualization. So it's the idea that, you know, you know that ultimately you'd like this dream life. You know, so you might say, okay, well, I'd love to be, you know, an amazing athlete and and have a mortgage-free house and have the amazing partner and, you know, all these dream things that's an ultimate dream, you know. It's that life you'd get if you won lotto. And But you also know that right now that life is far off. That A, you're probably struggling to do 30 minutes exercise a day. B, you've got a lot of debt. And uh, C, you're single. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. Now, if, if that person there were to sit and dream of this life where they live like Brad Pitt, where they, you know, got a hot chick, um, they've got an amazing job or career that they're actually really passionate about, they've got loads of money and all the rest of it, if you were to spend time visualizing on that, it would actually hold you back. That big picture visualization is not very effective and if anything, it pushes you away. And the reason it pushes you away or restricts you is that it's not realistic. That when you think of the big picture and then you wake up and see what you are right now, that the gap between the both are just so massive that it actually leads to inaction. That people who visualise on big picture well off in the distance, maybe not unrealistic, it's unrealistic to say you won't get there, but it's, it's unrealistic based on where you are right now, you're actually going to be held back and you're going to feel, I can never get there. The type of visualization that works, the type that actually makes an impact, is when you visualize the actual processes that you have to do in the next step along your path. So let's say, you know, the ultimate life is, you know, hot chick for a guy and hot guy, for, I don't know, <laughs> great partner, I suppose is a better way of putting it, great partner for you and, and loads of money, great career and lifestyle that you're really proud of. Let's say that's, that's where it's at. And right now, you're, you know, you're single, you're struggling with exercise and you're in a job that's okay. Now, if you were to spend time visualizing that big picture life, you're probably not going to get anywhere. You're probably, if anything, going to feel restricted because it seems so far away. But if you were to spend some time visualizing getting out and doing 30 minutes exercise five times a week, then there's a much higher chance that because you're focused on the process of your growth and use the tool of creating imagery and and a picture around the actions you're going to take in that moment, then there's a much higher chance that you'll be successful. That visualization is a very, very powerful tool. But only when we focus on helping us towards our process towards the growth that we ultimately want to head down. I thought I'd share with you guys my experience of visualization. I um I, I, I do spend some time visualizing every day and and I want to go back a little bit to that critical moment kind of stuff. And this is, it's a lesson I've learned that's worked really well for me and, and maybe for you as well. And I'm sure um, a lot of people will identify with what I'm going to talk about right now. But I've kind of I wake up in the morning every day. And I, and I am a goal-orientated person. I've kind of got goals for this period of my life and all the rest of it. And I, um, I have a, this kind of visual document that I've created for myself. It's it's a, like a 20-page document. Um, and it's graphically quite beautiful because it's important to me. And uh, you know what? If you want to check it out, I'll put it in the show notes on the website this week. So you can actually have a look at at what it is. But basically, it kind of represents my values, it represents um, my goals, it represents the things I love in life and uh, people who I aspire to, people who inspire me, 
um, you know, it kind of wraps up what I am. And uh, and there's, you know, a few little kind of favorite sayings and stuff I have in there as well. And, and every morning when I wake up in the morning, that's the first thing I do is I kind of wake up, kind of open my eyes slowly because I get up too early. And, you know, I just read through this. I spend about five, ten minutes just reading through it. Sometimes when I really want to go really into it, I even add music. So I'll put some of my favorite music on and just my iPod ears. And I have this as a PDF. So I just get my phone and I just open it up on my phone and put my ears in and get some music in. So I'm kind of trying to get myself to a bit of an emotional state. And the first thing I do is I, I try to put my mind in that place of what kind of person do I want to be in this world. And that will come from values and, and a lot of stuff I've put a lot of time reflecting on. Once I've done that, then I spend some time thinking about my critical moments in today. Think about those moments in my day which will really define my day. We think about the habits. You know, if I go back to that whole, my life is mainly just habits, but today will be defined by a few key moments. I'm searching for those critical moments. And like I've been saying, that most of our life are just habits. So critical moments, I've found through kind of years of doing this, is, is it tends to come down to five or six moments in my day, they'll be the critical moments that if I do those moments well, the rest of my day will flow on. So I'll give an example of, of some critical moments and, and areas where I you know, maybe need to improve. So for one example is when I sit down to work at my computer. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good worker, I'm pretty focused, but like most people, I definitely get distracted at moments within my day. And my day tends to be um, get up, I'll do some exercise work, so it might be training people, it might be teaching classes, or it might be me doing some exercise myself. From there, I'll come home, I'll make some breakfast, and then normally around about 8 to 8.30, I'll sit down and at my computer. I work from home mainly, so I'll sit down at my computer and, and I'll have jobs that I need to do for the day. Now, I know that for myself, that when I'm working well, I set objectives for my time. That at the beginning of the first thing I do in the day is I have like a, a meeting with myself and I look at my diary, I look at my tasks and my to-do lists and then I just write down what are my objectives for the next period of time. Now some days when I've got a lot on or I'm a little bit distracted, not much of that happens because I'll get unfocused and I'll end up losing an hour just by, just by pissing around to be honest. So for me... Um, on a day where I've got a lot on, my critical moment is often just sitting down and having that objective session. That if I can sit down and think about what are my objectives for the tasks I have in front of me, I work like there's like a, there's a flow that comes with that. Whereas I don't do the kind of the, the objective planning session, I don't do so well. If we look at exercise, you know, often, you know, for someone like myself who's who's done exercise for so many years, the exercise, turning up and doing exercise isn't really the hard thing anymore. But sometimes you know you have a session where you've got to push the intensity a little bit more. So I might be going to the gym to do some weights with a friend who I know is going to push me really hard. And you know that there's that moment before the set, you know, I might be doing bench press and, you know, getting on that bench press and knowing that I'm putting my weight up and not looking for excuses to take it easy and actually taking on that challenge. For me, that moment as I lay down on that bench to get the bar up is a critical moment to put my mind in the right place. That's what we're looking for is we're scanning our day for those critical moments. Once we've identified what those critical moments are, then what we're looking to do is we're trying to visualize and pre-plan the decisions you're going to make at that moment. So again, this goes back to the stuff that Richard Wiseman was talking about, that we're focusing on visualizing the process that's going to lead us towards what we want to be, 
So if I'm scanning throughout my day, and let's just use those two examples, I've got a busy day with work, and I've got a weight session at the gym, which I know is going to be really challenging for me. As I'm in my morning kind of mental planning session, as I'm scanning my day, when I've identified those moments, then I'm going to use visualization to watch myself do the behaviors that I would do in the perfect situation in that moment. So I might create a visualization around um, the picture of, you know, or of me sitting down at my desk, grabbing my pen, seeing myself write down all the different things that I'm going to have to do, so setting the objectives. I might create the visualization of laying down on the bench, breathing to myself, mentally telling myself I'm up for this challenge, physically seeing myself push through that challenge. So I'm creating the picture and the imagery of that moment. Now I've found for myself this has been a really good strategy in using visualization. And one of the biggest benefits I've learned through doing this, you know, critical moment planning in my morning that's based around, you know, my values and all that kind of crap, is that when that moment comes up, I know I'm going to make the right decision. Now, it might be because I've planned, but I think it's because visualization is a part of the process as well. But when I sit down at that office desk at 8.30 in the morning, I grab my pen and I start writing down my objectives for the day. When I get on the weights bench, I know that I'm going to I'm going to have the right attitude. I'm going to push on through. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm not going to fail with the weights because weights you know can be more challenging than I can push. But I know I'm going to bring to it the right attitude that I'm going to have. And this is how we can start to use visualization in our days. This is how you can start to use visualization in your days to identify your critical moments to know what the challenge is, and then to plan and visualize the processes, the behaviors, and the actions that you will take in that moment, they're going to lead you down the path that you want to head down. So then, I suppose the next question is, how do you visualize? And and this is one that I kind of wonder if I really need to spend that much time on, because I'm sure most of us know how to create visual pictures inside our mind, but there are a couple of things that can definitely help us enhance that visualization process. And um, the first is to add emotion to it. You know, when we're thinking about visualization, we're actually thinking of creating a, a, a scenario where we're trying to show, you know, those processes and behaviors I just talked about. And if we can add some emotion to it um, around that, you know, like when you think of an emotional state, um, you know, for me getting on the weights bench, when I'm feeling physically strong, I'm feeling emotionally strong, what does my body feel like? As I lay down and I put my, you know, my head back down and look at that bar up in front of me, what, what emotion am I going through in my head as I'm preparing for this challenge? What words would I say to myself? And I know visualization is just a visual thing, but there's, there's, there's the auditory side of it that comes with it as well. So as I'm laying on that bench, what, what words will I visualize or, or as I create this creative picture, will I be saying to myself? As a weight comes down, I'm starting to struggle. What you know? What am I going to see, and what am I emotionally am I going to feel? One thing that you, when you do some researching on visualization is that, that, that to make them brighter and, and uh, make the picture bright and vibrant, and things like that will really help as well. Some people argue that if you want to make it more effective, you try to bring the picture closer 
in your mind's eye uh, around the visualization as well. The other things you can do is add music to it. Like, I know that sounds kind of odd, but you can put a song in your mind. You know, like for me, I might sit on the bench and I might hear some massive operatic theme as I'm watching myself do this weight. There's the idea of visualization of what we call associate and disassociate. And associate is where you see it in your own eyes. So, you know, again, like if I'm lying down and I see the eye, the bench, you know, the bar up in front of me, I'm seeing it from the perspective that I see life in. But then disassociate is where you're watching it from the third person where I'm looking at myself from outside myself and it's like I'm like a ghost over my own body and I'm watching myself physically do that movement. And you can use both. They say that, you know, some work better, you know, some people prefer the you and some prefer the disassociate. It's, it's trial and error. It's about you figuring out what works for you. But basically at the end of the day, the better picture you can create and the more effective you can make it, like by making it vivid and bright and emotional and all those types of things, the more you're going to find when you hit that moment. It's not a battle of how to make a decision. You've already made that decision. The more you find you hit that moment, the battle disappeared because you've already made that decision. Now I know for me this is something I've done for years now and I know it's it's been an evolutionary process and I think uh, like all things I often talk about is that this is just a skill, you know, spending time visualising the critical moments in your day is just a skill that you need to develop. But as you develop it, you'll you'll get better and better at figuring out what works for you. you know, some of those tips I just gave there, some of them will work for you and some of them won't. But over time if you practice that skill over and over again, you'll figure out what's the best way to make this critical moment planning in your day and how you use the tool of visualization to help you overcome those moments. Think about your day right now. Think about maybe today or think about tomorrow or think about yesterday. Think about those critical moments in your day when you got them right and when you got them wrong. If you think about those days when you get your critical moments right, how do you feel about yourself? What are the benefits of getting those moments right? And then when you think about the days where you didn't get them right, those days where you jumped in the car after work with the intention of going to the gym, but suddenly you find yourself on the path home. And because you let yourself down, you end up eating chocolate biscuits. And you think about what the effect of both paths is. The path where you make better critical decisions and the path where you make poor critical decisions. I'm pretty sure that you'd much rather live in a life where you make better critical decisions more often. So then the next point I suppose I have to make is how can you start adding the process of doing critical planning in your day? Now for me, I do mornings. I'm an early morning person. I'm up at pretty much five o'clock every morning nowadays. I get one sleep in day a week and I love it, I tell you. <laughs> it's, it's Friday here right now and uh, <laughs> and I've still got, I've got early morning tomorrow morning and Sunday I don't have to get out. I don't have to do anything till 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm so looking forward to sleeping in. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's just me letting you know about that. 
But you've got to work for you. You've got to make these things work for you because you might say to yourself, oh, I've listened to Bev and I'm all inspired and tomorrow I'm going to wake up at five o'clock and I'm going to, or six o'clock, but I normally get up at eight and uh, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do this critical moment planning and, and do all the rest of it. And then the alarm goes off and you think, oh, five minutes more. And then and you push snooze and then it becomes eight o'clock and you jump out of bed and you're in the rush of your day. And when I deal with people, I always think, what's going to make you most successful? And there's no one formula for success that your formula is different to the person next to you, to your partner, to your workmate, to your teammate. But there's a moment in your day where you can figure out to put in some critical planning. So I've got one client who that's the first thing he does when he gets to work. He doesn't like doing the early morning thing so much, but he loves just getting into work, shutting his office door and doing his critical moment planning. I've got another client who does it before he goes to sleep at night. So he, he goes, you know, before he goes to sleep, he just does a recap of his day and then he does a bit of a critical moment planning for his next day and then he visualizes those, those moments. If you can make that commitment to spending five, ten minutes, you know, the better you get, like I probably spend three or four minutes doing that, is it doesn't take that much time. But that three-minute commitment has a massive influence on the decisions in my day that really define my day. If you could spend, you know, at first it might take a little bit longer, let's say five to ten minutes, and make a commitment to doing that five to ten minutes to scan your day, to find those moments, and then to visualize the decisions and processes that's going to make you better in those moments. And then you find that because you've put that time in, then you make better decisions. Do you think you get better outcomes? That you'd be on a path that you know leads you towards that ultimate life? <laughs> it's funny, it's a three minute commitment, three to five minute commitment. And it's funny how when we go back to that study that the athletes who put the most time into their mental training actually got the best physical performance. Now you can use this for the physical side of yourself, you can use this for your work side, you can even use it for your relationships. But if you make that commitment to putting that in your in your skill box, you know, the skills you use to make yourself better, and you were to practice that more often, I'm pretty sure you'd see some pretty wicked benefits of bringing this in your life. Before I quickly wrap up, I'm going to show a share with you guys at the end of the show because I'm going to, it's, it's pretty full on the thing I'm going to do. I found a um, a visualization technique that I um, I actually read in a book about ten years ago, and I managed to find it on the internet um, when doing research for this show. And it's it's a little bit different to what I'm talking about today. It's a bit more of an appreciation for yourself kind of visualization and I'm going to actually do it at the very end of today's show so if you want to listen to the end because it's one of those things where you have to kind of it takes a little bit bit of time and there'll be some silence and stuff and it wouldn't have worked within the show but if you want to listen up at the very end of the show and you've got a bit of quiet space to listen and and do this this drill um, hang around because it's one that I think is pretty cool so to kind of wrap things up All of us have moments in our day that define our life. All of us want to be, well, I believe, want to be moving forward and developing and growing. One way that we can do that is to find those critical moments 
and then use a great tool like visualization to see ourselves making the perfect behaviors, to making better behaviors and better decisions so that ultimately we can be that best version of ourselves. Right, our team, that's, uh, that's pretty much this month's show, although do listen up at the end if you want to uh, just go through this visualisation technique that I'll share with you guys. And uh, to be honest, it is, it's kind of, uh, it's one of those ones where you need a bit of quiet space and you need a bit of room somewhere. So if you're in your car or you're out training right now or if you're at work listening to the show, you may want to sort of kind of, once you get to that pause and plan some time tonight or at some stage whenever you're listening to this to maybe get in um yeah you might enjoy it I think you will it's one I've done on a few people over the years and I've really enjoyed so it's all good I have done a workbook for this month and uh, over the last few months I haven't really done them so um I've actually done it before I've even produced a show this time so that's going to be on the website go to bevanjamesisles.com and uh, just look under fitness behavior and it's uh three dollars for the workbook and it's just um yeah, it's just, because it's one thing to have the tools, you know, I've talked about affirmations, I've talked about all these different tools, but I also think there needs to be a bit of responsibility around how you're going to fit those tools in, you know, you can have the greatest tool in the world, but if you never use it, what's the point? And uh, visualisation is one of those tools that I think a lot of people know about, but don't really implement it into their strategy for success. And uh, and then a lot of, you know, there's you know, like Richard Wiseman was saying, there is some misinformation and some that actually put you away. So I've done a bit of a workbook. It's about 10 pages. It's it's just a, a reflective kind of workbook that you can work through. And at the end of it, you'll have a plan of how you would do some critical moment plannings within it. Also on the website, if you want to check out my my, my daily kind of book that I read in the morning it's uh it's on there you can download it it's, it's very personal it's very just for me but um, I'm pretty open so I've got nothing to hide so you guys can check that out and that's all good as well I have got a couple of questions for you guys so I'm going to quickly pull those up and here they are right now I got an email from uh unfortunately I've lost the email but I got an email from someone about last month's show and um around the kids stuff and uh Oh, I wish I had the email. Unfortunately, I never lose my emails, but unfortunately, I have lost this one. And uh, this person was just saying how they really, really identified with the show last month. And um, I'm not reading this email, obviously, because I've lost it, but I just thought it was important to talk about because his family, um, he realized that, I'm pretty sure it was a guy, he realized that he wasn't connecting with his kids. And, uh, and and he, they were just kind of he was just kind of in their space and they didn't really have shared experiences together and so they decided they're going to get rid of the TV and they're going to go outside and do activities and stuff and he said the improvement in his family life and the benefits for him and his kids and that were just through the roof and um, if you're the person listening right now and you know that you can you receive me that email because I'll read it on next month's show I got an email from Holly Blades Holly Blades is um. Well, I'm thinking based on her website or her email address is that she's from the UK and she, I think she's a fitness professional and she's got a really good question and uh, she basically, just to wrap it up, she, along with a few of her clients and uh, members from her gym and that, they all worked towards achieving a half marathon a while ago and there was obviously a sense of achievement. They worked really hard towards achieving this goal. They found this next level of motivation and they all did really, really well. And they were measuring themselves by scales and that, but actually, you know, getting better time and, you know, all that kind of stuff really got them to a pretty good level. And then once the goal disappeared, 
they just fell off the wagon that, you know, she was finding it, you know, once they achieved the goal of getting it there, they found it so hard to get their shoes back on is the word she used. And, and she was just wondering about, she's got, it's an interesting one. Sometimes it's not just the journey to our target, but in some ways it's, it is the staying on track further along the journey that is harder. This is something I've never thought of before, even though through teaching, I have seen numerous clients reach weight goals and training goals. And she's asked me if this is something I've seen and experienced, and, and it is. And, and I think what happens here, Holly, and I think this is a really important lesson for all of us, is that there's something about having a focus that is really great. I know I see it with my own business, you know, I've got these running groups that I have and you get these people who sign up for 5Ks and these are people who have never been successful or haven't been successful for exercise in a long time and you get them in this environment where it's fun and we make it achievable and we've got great coaches and it all goes really well and these people suddenly find focus and when you find focus, what tends to happen is you find a higher level of behaviour. So They've found the right goal and the right goal that's believable, achievable, a little bit of a stretch, but within their own, you know, kind of world where they're at right now. And they go on this journey of achieving this 5K run and and like you guys doing this half marathon. And because you've got this really cool focus, suddenly you become a slightly better person. You know, suddenly you're motivated to go training when the weather's not so good. Suddenly you'll train more than you normally do. Like it's funny with our 5K groups, this winter in Christchurch has been absolutely terrible. And we had these these people, non-exercisers, people who hadn't exercised in years, like some people in more than 20 years, and it snowed one day and they all turned up for the day it was snowing. Now these are people who would normally struggle just to exercise, but because they had a focus, they were, they were doing better behaviours. What happens is they, you know, you, so you do the focus, you achieve the goal, you get that target and you feel great about yourself and, and often after that you speak to people and they've got this big ambition, okay, now I'm going to go to here and, and a lot of people end up just slipping back. Once the target has gone, they'll set this target, they'll achieve the goal, the 5K. It's really interesting with our business, we've tried to set up a, a, a pathway for growth. So we have a 5K group, and the idea is once you've done the 5K, then, then you'll join our 10K group, and then you might do 10K twice, and then you might do our half marathon group. And we've found that the, the people who stay within our world and uh, go along our path that we've created for them become hugely successful because what happens is they finish the 5k group we give them a week off and then we reset their target and we say okay well now here's the 10k group and then we get them to do that a couple of times and then we say okay well now you've done, you're comfortable with 10k let's get you to do a half marathon and what happens is is that they stay with us they become really successful we're really curious as a business is what happens when people don't stay with us so like people will come and they'll join and they'll do a 5k run with us and they feel really amazing and you know you know, they achieve that goal. And we're finding that the people who don't stay with us tend to fall back to old behaviours. Now, our challenge as a business is how do we teach people lessons so that they can take those lessons as they move forward from, you know, when they're in our world. But I think one of the reasons they fall off the wagon is they don't reset another focus. And I know for myself as an athlete, one of the biggest lessons I learned was you achieve a goal or you achieve a focus period you allow some downtime. So you might say, okay, I've just trained for a marathon, I did a marathon, and you give yourself two weeks off where you don't have to be so focused because I think it's just healthy to get a bit fat and get a bit lazy and and have some downtime because it is quite hard just being so focused all the time. But the real key is, is to reset another focus 
really quickly. So if I was in your situation, Holly, um, knowing that you have a cent- you're have you in a centre of influence in your fitness world and that you managed to get these people to do a half marathon, the key is then, two weeks later, to go, okay, guys, what's our next focus? Now, some people may get stale of doing half marathons and they may need to go in different directions, but if we can learn to, to reset, and I, you know, I've done the show on resetting, but if we can learn to find that new focus earlier, we're going to be more successful. Really interesting, actually. A few shows ago, I did the Process Challenge show, and uh, and the Process Challenge is a tool that I use a lot. But there was a period of about three months within kind of July, August, September this year where I kind of I, I got to the end of an eight week block where I'd done a really good Process Challenge, and I, I allowed myself to have a week off, um, just you know because I'm not that hard on myself, and uh, and I didn't get back around to doing my Process Challenge. And I found over the next three months, I just fell off the wagon a little bit. Now, I didn't fall off the wagon in a massive, massive way, but I just fell off enough where some bad habits were coming in, some a level of focus that I like to live in, I just wasn't living in. And around September, when Joe and I went to Europe, I realized, oh, the reason I've fallen off the wagon a little bit, like I was looking at some of my behaviors and I was a little bit unfocused and I wasn't, I just wasn't doing the things I know I should do. And I realized that I just hadn't refocused. That, that week where I was meant to you know, have some time off and then reset again, I'd left it too long. And there wasn't an obvious downfall in my behavior. There was just a slow slip away. And the, suppose, the lesson, I suppose, for yourself, Holly, and your crew is reset the focus quickly. Allow some downtime, but reset the focus quickly. I hope that helps. I hope that makes some sense. Yeah, let's go on to my next question. Got a question here from uh, Tanya Greaves, and um, she's just got a couple of quick questions here, and uh, knowing me, they won't be quick responses, but um, is it possible if you could cover the following topics on your podcast? Losing those last three kilos, why is it so difficult? And uh, the second one is, why nothing good ever comes from pleasure that is easily obtained? Lots of different ways to express this, hope you know what I mean, and I do probably know what you mean. Um, the first question is, why is losing those last three kgs hard? This is, this is kind of a difficult question to answer because it's hard to know um, you know, what people's habits are at that moment. Um, and, and, you know, I always try to come from the mind side of things, so I think I'll approach it with a mind kind of answer and uh, and I'm not sure, but um, I think maybe one thing is that once we get close to the goal, we lose a bit of focus. That let's say you're someone who's exercised really hard and you've tried to lose 15 kg and you get down, to, you know, you've lost 12 kg, which is pretty massive. Um, and you may get close to it, so you allow some, you know, you just allow a little bit of loosening of the reins. And maybe a good idea is once, you know, if you're someone who always struggles with that last step in the goal, is just to to do a bit of a mini reset closer to that time. So you might, you know, if you lost 12 kg, you got three to go to sit down and just go, okay, three, if I were to lose three, three kgs healthily, you know, not extremely, you know, not, you know, starve myself, but actually, you know, three kgs, which, you know, in theory should take around six weeks, but five, you know, five to, you know, a month to six weeks, what would be a plan of attack that would be really, really sharp. And so it's almost just about getting your mind back into a really sharp place. Because I think sometimes we get to a place where we're comfortable and you can almost justify being three Ks off. So you can almost go, well, I'm not quite at the goal, but you know what, it's okay. So, I'll, you know, I might 
have some bad food this weekend or I might miss an exercise session. And maybe, now again, it's a hard question to answer without knowing people, you know, without being individual circumstances. But I think maybe it just comes down to losing a little bit of focus. Um, yeah, to be honest, I'm not sure if that's a very good answer, but it's, it's, it's a hard one to answer without knowing a person like if I was coaching someone I probably would have come up with a strategy and would do all that kind of stuff but sorry sorry I couldn't come up with anything better why nothing good ever comes from pleasure that is easily retained yeah that's 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 a that's a great question as well because delayed gratification eh? it's 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 a really powerful thing but it's often the hardest way to go about getting things and um I remember a friend of mine once said to me and it's a saying I really love he said um, the best option is always the hardest option, and there's, there's a lot of truth there. It's not it's not one hundred percent true, you know. There's there's always cases which will disprove that, but there is something about delayed gratification that is really really powerful. And I think one of the, the most powerful things about it um, is the term that that's that's used uh, personal credibility. Personal credibility is the idea that I remember one of the greatest compliments I ever got in my life was from my hairdresser actually, and uh, this is this is when I was like twenty two years ago, and uh, and she said to me, "The thing about you, Bev, is whatever you say you do, you end up doing," and I remember that was really powerful for me because um, it just showed me. I don't know it just felt. I don't know it just seems to be a, a compliment that really sat with me. And, and I think the reason I had that place is because I had personal credibility and that, you know, what I say I do, I do. And, and I think ultimately what comes with personal credibility is trust. Trust in yourself to make great decisions in your life. And so the, the more you trust yourself to make great decisions – the more you can move towards making great decisions. And often when it comes to pleasure and temptation, now, before I go into this next bit, I'm not someone who doesn't think you can't have temptation. I, I eat chocolate every night. I have four bits of chocolate every night with my cup of tea. And, uh, and so there's nothing wrong with temptation in life. There's, there's levels of temptation that, you know, that are healthy for people. And uh, so, you know, and, and I definitely get pleasure from that chocolate every night. So it's not that you shouldn't have pleasure in your life. But there are levels that you should have. And, and I think the thing is, is that when you make good decisions and you delay gratification, one of the benefits of delayed gratification is a sense of esteem and personal credibility that is pretty phenomenal. And that sense of personal credibility then teaches you to trust yourself more in your own decisions. So fundamentally what you gain from delayed gratification is I trust that you're going to be right in this world. And uh, to me, that's, that's a pretty powerful thing to walk around this world having on your side. Because I think for a lot of people who are, struggle with temptation and, and they, they give in to pleasure all the time, is that they have a sense of they can't trust themselves. And, and I'm curious to, to think about how that restricts them in their own progress. So that's that's one way of looking at it. I don't. Is, is this this is a topic you could do. I could talk for hours about it on, but it's, it's just my kind of quick view on it. Um, 
Oh, that's pretty much going to be this much show. Just one thing, I have got a spare client space right now. So if you are, if you want to get some coaching from me and you're really interested in that, um, I love this stuff. I've got some really cool clients and we've definitely made some massive progress and that's really great. Um, if, you're, if you're interested in getting some coaching, you can go to my website, bevanjamesiowas.com and you can just email me from there and check out you know what I do with my coaching. Uh, the book's coming along well. I've written 8,000 words and I've got a mate, Robbie, who's emailed me. He said, look, Bev, if you do a book, I'm quite keen to help you market it. And Robbie, Robbie's like this guru. He's um, he's a he's an ambitious young man. He's going to Berkeley University and uh, he's doing really well for himself. So if, if he can help me out, I'd love that. Um, the idea of the book is I want to have it, the first draft finished by February. So um, hopefully, you know, who knows how long it will take to get it published from there. But, you know, that's kind of, yeah, it's all very exciting. And um, if you want to see me email, go to Bevan James Owls at Oh, Bevan James at gmail.com and uh, yeah I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the music on and then I'm going to do the visualisation thing so um, the music will come on and then it's about a 5-10 minute visualisation technique uh, you can listen to it thanks for listening to the show guys it's another long one this month um, I've had wicked hay fever so I'm, 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 I've tried not to sneeze all show so I'm quite proud of myself so um, you guys have a wonderful month and it's a uh, in New Zealand next month, it will actually be Christmas time, so uh, yeah, so anyway, have a wonderful month, and I'll see you same time, same place next month. So I'm back and uh, yeah, I'm just going to take you through guys through this experience um, around visualization that uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a visualization technique. It's kind of just the mind technique and it's um, it's pretty cool. So what I'm going to do is, is I suppose first of all you need to kind of find a space where you feel relaxed and now that can be any way, shape or form that works for you. So if you need to pause this audio and just find somewhere, it might be a couch you like lying down on, it might be sitting up in your favourite chair, it might be going into a quiet room in your house, um, just somewhere where you know that you can be um, undisturbed and can be relaxed. And then just find a posture that makes you feel relaxed where you are right now. The first thing I want you to do before we get into this technique is I just want you to just kind of scan your body. So I just want you to think about your, your toes and just... Think about your feet in that region down there and just consider is there any tension there that you're holding right now. As you think about that tension, I just want you to let that tension just melt away. I want you to relax and then I want you to create this relaxing feeling that's just going to slowly drift up your body. So you're kind of just scanning as this comes up your legs, up past your knees, into your quads and your, your upper thighs. And you're scanning for any tension and you're letting it drift away. At the same time, you're just breathing, breathing in and breathing out. Just go and bring it up through the middle of your body. Sweep down the side of one arm, then down the other side of the other arm. 
again, just trying to lose any of the tension that you have in your body right now. Lastly, just let it come up to your head. Are you holding any tension in your forehead and your head? Keep the breathing going and just relax for a few seconds. I want you to think about somebody in your life who you know loves you. Somebody in your life who you know loves you. Or think of someone, if you're someone who's sitting there and can't think of someone who loves you, think of someone who you've done something for and as a result, they really appreciate you. Really see who that person is the person who you know loves you or a person who really, really appreciates you. I want you to imagine to spend some time that you're sitting inside this room and there's a desk in this room and you're sitting inside this desk and you're writing your autobiography. Create the picture in your mind. What does the chair feel like? Is it comfortable? What kind of desk do you have? You see the pen. And allow some time to see yourself writing the picture, writing the story of your life. As you're in this room, writing the story of your life on the chair that you can see, in this tabled room, you look up and you see that there is a glass door. And as you look through that door, you can see the person who you know loves you. Spend a little bit of time just looking at that person, noticing their features, Noticing their posture. Maybe they're wearing some clothes that you really identify with them in. But you look through that glass door and you can see the person you know loves you. Have a look. Think about them right now. Start to write in your autobiography and start to look back down at your desk and look back down at your pen and your piece of paper and start to put some words that describe the quality and the characteristics of the person who you know loves you. Let your pen fly away, creating the words of this person who loves you. Now what we're going to do is we're going to shift your perspective from outside yourself. I want you to slowly, visually see yourself lift outside of your own body, 
like a ghost coming out of a body, floating up and looking upon yourself in the room, in the chair, writing your autobiography. Once you've floated up, you're going to drift along, you're going to go through the door, and you're going to stand next to the person who you know loves you. And you're going to see yourself making the observation about that person. As you're standing next to this person in your ghost-like state, looking upon yourself, writing in your autobiography about this person, I want you to drift into the body of the person who you know loves you. See yourself through the eyes of this person. See yourself through the eyes of love and appreciation. When you're in there, listen to this person's thought about their love of you, about their feelings for you, about how you make them feel in their life. Now, I want you to slowly drift out of the person who you know loves you, slip out of their body, float back across the room, and come back into your own body where you're sitting at the desk writing your autobiography. And as you're writing your autobiography, you're going to spend a little bit of time writing about what it was like to look at yourself through the eyes of love and appreciation. Think about possible times and places, both now and in the future, when you'll be able to re-experience this deep feeling of being appreciated and loved. Think about how you can use this experience to remind yourself that you are loved and that you are appreciated. Start to become aware of your body again. Come back to your breath. Slowly slip out of the visualization. Slowly come back to your breath.
This time we're going to rescan your body. Start with the toes, give them a little bit of a wiggle. Let the ankles rotate around a little bit. Feel the energy come back up through your legs. Give them a little bit of a shake. Good. Move your torso around a little bit. Let the shoulders just rotate around a little bit. Move the face a little bit as well. And then slowly when you're ready, open your eyes. I hope you've enjoyed this. Thank you for your time and have a wonderful day.